Welcome to Trump's America. This is going to be a great, great podcast. My guest is huge. His novels are the best. Really, really great. That's the first and last time I will ever do that. Quick subject change. Today, I talked to novelist. I know, another novelist. Jeez, it's like uh, Rob has some sort of bias towards people who write long-form fiction or something. Uh, Conrad Williams, about his latest novel, Hell is Empty, and uh, the end of his Joel Sorrell trilogy. Sorrell? Sorrell? You know what? I don't think I actually asked him about that, how you actually pronounce the guy's name. Hey, if you buy the book, you can pronounce it any way you like. I'm sure it's probably different from how he does. For the purposes of this podcast, it's uh, Joel Sorrell. I think he even, he meant, he must mention it in the interview. I genuinely can't remember how he pronounced it. Why am I talking about it? Who cares? We chat about the importance of good characters to a story. I think that's largely what we talk about. And the difference between literary and genre fiction. That old chestnut comes up. I'm not sure we've talked, I've talked about that in any great detail or length or depth with anyone before. So that's quite an interesting conversation. Conrad uh, has some pretty strong views about it, uh, some interesting views, and I think probably in some respects common views. So whether there's a difference between genre fiction, or even if genre fiction even exists, or literary fiction even exists, if, it, if that term, what does it mean? I don't, I'm not sure we answer that question in this interview, but we do discuss it, and we try really hard. If you don't know, Conrad, then what have you been reading all your life? I was going to say at the beginning of this that he is a horror and crime fiction writer, but as I just mentioned, he kind of rails against that sort of pigeonholing. So I'll just say that the books he's written in the past have been a bit crimey and a bit horror-y. I mean, he did win an international horror. Horror horror is one of those words I really have a hard time with. It's got too many R's in it. He did an international horror award. Uh, imagine it's easier for English people to say that. I'm not going to try to say it in an English way because why? Why would I want to do that? Horror award um, over the mighty Stephen King. So, hey. You know, if once that happens, I think you can be called a horror writer. I'm going to stop saying horror. Incidentally, because of this, I am now officially one degree of separation from Stephen King. So, you know, that interview with him, it will happen someday. I can, I can just feel it. I hope it happens before he gets run over by one of his neighbors again. If you don't know that story, then you should read Stephen King on writing. Uh, it's a great book. The writing advice is a bit you know, pants, as they say in this country. But the stories in it are great. When does the chocolate stop in this country? It's the end of January, and the staff room at work is still absolutely heaving with the stuff. And I suppose, as you can surmise by the photo for this podcast, I am utterly obese. And unless I Photoshop them out, my forehead is totally gross with spots. So if there's one thing I do not need, it's not another mini Snickers, but I don't know. What do you do? You can't say no if it's just sitting there, can you? This is now year two of the podcast, and already I'm kind of wishing I'd made some sort of record of all the hilarious jokes I did in the intros last year, so I don't do them again. Because I, you know, I listened to the podcast back once, and then I never listened to it again, so I'm not sure if I've actually repeated jokes. There's probably jokes I've done a hundred times. I hope that's not the case. But maybe treat it like uh, some sort of recurring in-joke, like they do on Kermode and Mayo. That sounded like I was dissing Kermode and Mayo. It's not. It's my favorite podcast, and I don't care what anyone thinks. I think when you're a middle-aged expat, you tend to constantly whinge about the same things in your host country. Expat is a really strange term. I don't actually know what it means. I think it just means privileged immigrant. I think expat, expat is kind of used when you come from another country that is better than the one you live in. Is that fair? A little tiny diss there to the listeners. Incidentally, there are some funny Canada versus British language things that come in up in the interview with Conrad. Uh, he's quite a lot of fun. And um, we recorded it 
in the outdoor area of a bar near my favorite place in Manchester, my new favorite place, Home. Um, if you're not from Manchester, Home is this kind of cinema, it's got a cinema slash bar slash theater slash restaurant, which sounds dreadful. It sounds like some horrible American thing that's on Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco or something where it's just, you know, chain shops or, you know, like the corn exchange. But it's not. It's great. I would actually name the, the actual bar we recorded outside of that's near home, but I'm not entirely sure I like the place. In fact, I know I don't. It's awful. You'll hear at one point in this interview some really loud music. I think it's R.E.M., uh, it comes blaring at us from within. We're actually sitting outside, and it's coming through the window so loudly. I had to go back in and turn it down. And when I did turn, uh, go ask him to turn it down, and when he did eventually turn it down, he was a bit smarmy about the whole thing, which I really hate. You know, it was so loud you couldn't hardly... You, I mean, you'll hear in the podcast. Uh, so he did turn it down, and it, and I left a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. And then I went and had a... I almost said I went and had a piss... Then I went to the men's toilet at one point, and it's really gross. It's got urinals, urinals, I know, I'm from a different country, urinals in the shape of lips. And uh, there are naked women on all the walls. I've never understood the idea of pornography in men's toilets. I see that quite a lot in British pub, uh, maybe not pubs so much, but bars, definitely. What am I meant to do there? Have some sort of wank while I'm in there? Yeah, a bit offside, that joke. I know. Anyway, moral of the story, I will record in home next time. Uh, well, I say I will record in home next time. I did, because I talked, I've talked. i done another interview since the one with Conrad. I did an interview with a man called Tom Kuehl, who is involved, I think he's a co-director or how do you, founder of a small independent press called Dodo Inc. And he's pals with Johnny Rutten if the internet is to be believed. So yeah, we have a nice chat. Incidentally, if publishers in Manchester are your bag, independent publishers, you are going to be happy with some of the podcasts coming your way this year because in addition to the Dodo Inc. people, I will be talking to two others. I don't think I can actually name them just yet because we haven't organized a date. There's two others, and if you do run a independent publisher and you want to chat to me, I'm going to do a independent publisher episode that I'll probably be talking to, well, as many as I can, really, about giving it a go, because that seems to be the in thing at the minute. The writing of my novel is going very well. Thank you for asking. I'm now in that place where the finishing line is in sight, so I'm madly rushing towards it while this adrenaline burst lasts. And by madly rushing, I mean about 200 or so words a day. Uh, there is a reason it's taken me 10 years to write this bloody thing. I don't know how it's going to end. I'm, I'm actually, I can see the, the end is coming at me very quickly. And I don't know what to do about that because I, I kind of know how it has to end, but I don't know how I'm going to get to it. So it's, it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. But um, it's relevant. I say this because Conrad, when he writes his books, he never knows how the books will end when he begins writing, which I think is interesting. And we, we do talk about the challenges of not doing any planning when you sit down to the... Well, I don't say not doing any planning, but not mapping the whole book out. Um, I think the thing that I've found by not knowing the ending is as soon as you come up with an idea or not doing any structure, as soon as you come up with an idea and start writing about it, it basically means everything you've written up until that point is redundant and has to be rewritten. So I'm writing a book now for 10 years. I'm not even exaggerating. In fact, it's longer than 10 years. It's probably 11 or 12 years I've been writing this same stupid book. But, I mean, hey, works for Conrad, and it works for Stephen King as well. That's how he does it. I'm definitely going to stop talking about Stephen King now. In fact, let's talk to Conrad Williams. Here he is now. Listen. What, for you, makes a good crime novel? That's a big question. Uh, good, we can come back to it. If no, you it's want. a good question. Um, well, I, you know, it has to be, it has to be about character first and foremost. I think it doesn't matter what anybody's doing, how exciting anything is, uh, because I don't think things are exciting unless you've invested some kind of emotional input into the person who's getting involved in all of that. Mm -hmm. So you know, you could have 
you can have the most amazing bells and whistles adventure experience, but you you're left feeling a bit nah by yeah. it because you know it's um, there's no payoff. No, 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 because you you don't really care that much about what happens to the character. Yeah. So I think the character has, comes first, and it matters really a great deal if you've got a character that you you care about and you're you that's charismatic or. Yeah. You know, even if it's somebody who's really grumpy, they can be kind of anti-charismatic. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know what I mean. Uh, yes. So, um, I, I can see how it could be lovable, anti-charismatic. Well, you know, yeah, anti-charismatic. Everyone likes a curmudgeon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and my character's a bit of a curmudgeon, mm, to say the least. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's based solely on me. Yeah. So it's highly autobiographical. Yeah. Um, well, you've skipped through to about six of my other questions. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, so, the, that's the main ingredient for me. But there's also other stuff. I mean, you also need to be able to you know, be aware of pace change, mm-hmm. and all the kind of technical stuff, yep. without, without making it look like, a, like an exercise in creative writing. Yep. You, need, you need to juggle a lot of skills, I think, yep. in order to pull off a great crime novel. Right. Um, so how do you do that? How do you make it? It's funny that you say that it doesn't sound like a creative writing exercise. Yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of the time you can you can see the join, I think, in a lot of books where you've you've got people suddenly writers writing in short short sentences or one word paragraphs or the, the, mm. you can see Style what, over you substance. can see what they're trying to do, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think if you're a, if you're a confident uh, skilled writer I don't think you have to rely too much on those tricks it's good to know them and it's good to employ them to a certain degree but um, I think if if what is happening in the story is exciting enough then you don't need to embellish it with you know, technical tools of the trade yeah um, would you say um, this? you can definitely say no to this is it noir your book oh, I don't know I mean what is noir I'm not even sure what I, I put that question in thinking I have a good idea of what it is yeah it's, and I got a kind of a noir feel from your book and I don't know why well I guess noir is a feeling it's not it's not so much something that you can pin down I think it's 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 something that's atmospheric that's dark that uh, maybe sleazy you know I could I could probably I could I could point you at noir if I saw it on the screen yeah it's a little harder to do when you're reading. Yeah. When you're reading something. They're wearing a fedora. Yeah. There's a fedora, chain-smoking, fedora-wearing guy who's, you know, who's got some broad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> who drinks too much. Yeah. From New York. Yeah. The, the mean streets. Um, you also there's one of the things I noticed in this that breaks kind of, and I say this. This podcast largely is towards new writers, right? So you're going to get a few of these questions where it's about writing, basically. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love talking about writing. Good. <clears throat> One of the things I've always been taught is that you should shy away from kind of modern references and not modern mm. references, but you know, like things like in your book where you talk about video games of the day, yeah. um, you know, emojis and, and things like that. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, you don't worry about that kind of dating. Uh, I think I, I do worry about stories becoming dated, and so I tend to shy away from uh, major uh, time um, reference points. Mm-hmm. Even though I do, I, you know, I mentioned briefly. I mentioned certain newspaper articles that I might have read recently. Well, not re- not so recent now. I mean, the the, the guys who ripped off the um, the diamond place in London. Big diamond heist last year, or the year before, even. I can't. But yeah, I mean, this stuff does date it. I don't really worry too much about it because it is a novel of its time, and it's it's not important. I mean, if I was to write a novel that was historically re- relevant or or very much, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's that important for me. Mm. I try. I try to steer clear of. of I mean, I always. I always think of. Uh, Ricky Gervais and The Office, and he did he did a gag in that that was that was very much dependent on you having seen um, TV adverts 
about tea. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a monkey who used to sell PG tips, basically. I think it was PG tips. Mm-hmm. And, uh, still does. All oh, right, he still does that. Well, it's, well, it's relevant. Yeah, they got so. rid of Johnny Vegas. They kept him. Kept oh, the right. monkey, though. <laughs> the monkey. Yeah. But the monkey appears in, in the office, and you think in 50 years' time when people are watching The Office as we watch Faulty Towers today, which doesn't have the same kind of uh, time-relevant issues in it, um, people are going to watch that and they're going to think, what the hell is that all about? Mm. You know? and they met, or, or, or referring to... Um, what I try to shy away from doing is mentioning celebrities that are relevant now, because in two years, three years, they're not going to be relevant at all, and people, people won't get that. So mm-hmm. I try to... If I make any kind of mention of news or things like emojis, you know, they'll, they'll be around. They'll for a be while. around, but they won't be. You know, celebrities, people who are in the news yeah. now, just tend. I don't, I don't think they'll be. I try to steer clear of doing that. Yeah. So if you look at someone like Martin Amis, he just makes up new ones or yeah. loads of writers. They just make up new things, whereas you kind of pull straight from what's happening in the. Yeah, in the world today, really. And I think that gives it another layer of uh, authenticity. I mm. think people like to make connections, and I think if you've, if I mean, I, I'm really admire those people who can write um, fantasy novels. They build an entire universe out of their own heads, and 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 so you, you're being fed this world that you don't know about. And it's difficult to make the same kind of connections as you can from a novel that's set in a world that you do recognise. So, I, I do think the best fantasy novels, though, do have connections to yeah, real life, don't they? Really? Yeah, but they won't be explicit. They, no. They'll be they'll be the kind of connections that you make uh, obliquely. Exactly, obliquely is a good word, um, and they might not necessarily be intended, uh, but all the better for that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and you know. Uh, all fiction needs to have some kind of it needs to be tied back to the here and now and to, to, to what life is all about yeah. really. otherwise it has what's a, the point yeah it's a bit empty I think yeah I think novels probably do that better than anything yeah really yeah um, would you on that point would you bring politics into it and I, I know you have done a little bit in this yeah. but would you like especially with the, the world the way it is today I think we're probably going to see a lot more of that sort of thing yeah. Is that something that you would put? You would even consider? I'm not. I'm not a, a massively political animal. I mean, I do. I, I take a, an interest in uh, current affairs, but I'm not. You know, I don't. I, I don't really follow the day-to-day mm-hmm. wranglings that that happen in Westminster. Uh, I couldn't tell you who who most of the cabinet ministers were. You know, I'm not that kind of person. I, I, I'm not. I'm not really that interested in politicians. Uh, but yeah, broad, broad-based politics—the kind of politics that that bother people who are just living their day-to-day lives—is yeah. is more interesting to me. This is a the kind of a random question, but it's one I've always thought was interesting: is how difficult has the invention of mobile phones been to oh, crime fiction? It's good, yeah. And I know, oh, what's <laughs> what is he doing? That's really coming through. Give me a sec. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were we talking about? That's so annoying. Mobile phones. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, mobile phones have ruined crime fiction. Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm planning a novel at the moment that's set in 1977. Uh, not solely because I want to combat that problem, but um, luckily it's it, it's it it has to be set in 1977. But um, yeah, it's something you have to think about, and and so in this novel, Hell Is Empty, I had uh, I had the the kind of climax takes place in a wood, so there wouldn't be a very good signal, <laughs> and underground where mm-hmm. there wouldn't be a very good signal. So you, you find yeah. yourself trying to undermine, you know, the these phone companies increasing skill at, at making sure that you've got signals anywhere at yeah. all times it's difficult yeah yeah I think it, 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 there's one point where he's sending them around and there's going to be a bit of spoilery bits in this <laughs> I should have mentioned but there always is yeah. um, where he sends the, um, uh, the I just finished reading it today how have I forgotten his name already the main bad guy right 
sends them around uh, to phone booths, phone boxes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. they said, oh, no mobile phones. And you're yeah. just, you have to lay that on the line. Yeah, I down. know. I, that, was, that, was, uh, that was something I... I remember watching, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was The Professionals or Starsky and Hutch or something where this happened, where, where people just got sent to... I think quite, it's it happens Die Hard. quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. there's quite a lot of that. Yeah, there's in Die Hard, the third one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it was a little bit of a nod to those those films and those books. Yeah. Uh, I like I like that. But yeah, and 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 also that I was quite surprised at how they're still out there. Those those phones, phone booths. You just don't mm-hmm. see them anymore because obviously you don't you don't use them. You yeah. don't, you're not looking for them. Um, I'm surprised they still exist. I know. To be honest. I know. Yeah. But there must be somebody out there who doesn't have a mobile phone who. One person, the one person. They're there just for him. Yeah. <laughs> so how, you mentioned that you didn't expect this to be a trilogy; that it was just going to be a collection of kind of was it short stories that you were talking no, about? No, I, I was, I was. I mean, I'd, I'd love this series to go on and on. I mean, I, I had this. Uh, you know, I wanted it to become. Well, I still want it to become. There's no reason why it won't. Mm. Um, a long series about the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that I think that the three books I, and a long I had a long think about it was good that it was a trilogy because it meant that um, you wouldn't have readers getting to book seven and realising that this, this daughter still hasn't been found and yeah. getting a bit fed up of that actually yeah. so it's probably a blessing in disguise that it was a, a trilogy yeah. um, but I, you know, I've got, I've got an idea for another one um, which I probably write anyway, even though I've, I've not. I'm, it's a bit early to talk to book okay. publishers about yeah. possible new. Books. Well, that's the thing with. It seems to, I've spoken to quite a few writers on this, and if there's one thing I've learned from this podcast, it's no matter how popular your last book was, the next book is far from guaranteed to be no, published. No, exactly, exactly, um, and that's the end of my three book deal with this one. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what they're thinking at the moment I don't know what the sales are like Mm -hmm. so um, I guess it's all dependent on that if I get asked to do another one Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it takes a long time for a would you wait to be asked would you just write it I'm gonna well I I mean it's quite a huge chunk of time to be able to write something that you're not sure yeah well have you gotten to that point kind of in your career where you won't write something unless it's no 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 I mean I've still got stuff on the go that that I'm writing on spec that that's not been commissioned. Um, I got into this game before I realised that publishing was a, was a possibility. So mm-hmm. I would do it anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, time is the factor. It's not money; it's time. Yeah. Uh, and so I've got other stuff going on at the moment, and um, I will do it. I mean, I've I've I've, I've started to make notes, um, but it's a case of when. Yeah. These, the last two books in this series were, were quite good because I had two rigid deadlines and I basically had to write them in a year. Uh, so it's great to have that kind of focus. Uh, I've got another book that nobody has commissioned and I, I wanted to write that I'm still tinkering with five years down the line. So deadlines are, are good for me. Yeah, what is it? It's a, it's a modern day ghost story set in uh, rural France. Mm. And it's, it deals with a writer who is in the Last Chance Saloon. Uh, he's having one last crack at writing this book. And he's bought a crumbling old farmhouse in France with his wife. So you can get a bit of peace and quiet. And it's also about um, events that happened towards the end of the Second World War. Mm. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Even, even though I've been working on it for quite a long time, I still, it still feels fresh in my, yeah. in my mind. Um, but yeah, it's trying to get it finished and do other stuff at the same time. Really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Juggling time—that's that's the big trick, I think. I was also going to ask you about this. You've got a, a few awards, right? And one of the things that says at the end of this book, which I found really interesting, is that you've actually won two awards uh, over Stephen King, <laughs> who was nominated for the same thing. And they're both yeah. horror. Were they yeah, horror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were horror novels. Mm. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, I'm sure he's still grinding his teeth about <laughs> that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was great. It was, it was back in, it was 2007 
that Virgin decided they were going to do oh, 2006 Virgin were putting together a horror list okay and it was very exciting because they were interested in a novel I'd written called The Unblemished which mm-hmm. was which was published by a small independent publisher in the States um, and so they, they did that and that was that won the International Horror Guild Award mm-hmm. for which uh, Stephen King was shortlisted as well I can't remember what the novel was some novel <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And then, Some uh, little yeah. boring nothing. Novel. Yeah, it was. It was probably quite good. It was. It was probably yeah. not one of his best. Yeah. And then the year later, because it was it, the stand. It was the stand. It was wasn't the. It? it was yeah. the shining. Yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I did another novel the following year called One, which was a kind of post-apocalyptic novel, mm-hmm. and that won the British Fantasy Award. Uh, and so, and I was getting into. I was. Uh, I loved this idea of writing a novel a year for a, a growing horror list who also, they, they also had Ramsey Campbell and Stephen Gregory and Thomas Ligotti on their books and it was really exciting and then they just cancelled the whole thing probably because it wasn't selling that well but um, it, was, it, was, it was just enormously disappointing because I thought that we were going to be on to some real successful you know mm exercise um, this is a question that's come up a few times on the podcast is it because horror as a genre is on its ass it's not though I mean if you look at I think I think a certain kind of horror is on its ass as you so eloquently put it um, Canadian if, yeah if you look at what's being published these days uh, if you look at you know the kind of edgy kind of fiction that is get, is turning up on the booker short lists and long lists if you look at the kind of uh, films that are being created I mean it's it, I think it's getting subtler and I think it's getting weirder but I think horror is still around mm. um, it, I just think that publishers are, are still nervous about it because of what happened there was a big I think overkill in the in the 90s mm-hmm. so I think publishers have the, their fingers burnt basically um but I think there's still scope for good horror fiction in the publishing industry, and it's and it is it is there. I mean, it is it is happening. It's just it just seems to be that there's no guarantee these days that you're going to stick around with the same publisher f- for for your career, which used to happen. You know, you could have 15 years with a with a major publisher. Now, what I find is that writers are scrabbling around for the next gig because either a list closes or a book gets rejected or you know you just find yourself in a different set of circumstances than you were a few years previously so um, I don't know I think you just have to mix and match these days a bit more than you used to yeah so because they're scrabbling around do you think writers are more inclined to make decisions based on genres that sell rather than ones that don't or ones that sell less I don't know. I think that's quite. I think it's always dangerous to try. It's cynical. It's it is cynical, but I think it's it's you're taking a risk if you if you're trying to position yourself in the market where the market is doing the best. I think you. I think it's a bit obvious, first of all. But I think it's it can also be damaging because you you can't be satisfied if you're doing that. You can't. Uh, surely the whole point of being a writer is to follow your heart and to write the things you want to write rather than the things that you think other people want to read mm-hmm. I think chasing the coattails of any kind of zeitgeist is is doomed to failure because by the time you get around to finishing something that you think fits that particular corner of the market it's moved Church. on anyway mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean there might there might always be a publisher who's hungry to see another kid who can wield magic right you know but I I don't want to I don't want to read that I mean no. I think I didn't want to read it the first no, time no I didn't <laughs> <laughs> just kidding yeah. she's very she's, very she's listening she's a very powerful woman <laughs> yeah you've mentioned post-apocalyptic mm. and I'm glad you did um, there's also there's something in here and I've that's one of these markers that's pointing at it ah, right. usually okay. I have to look but I remember <clears throat> it that uh, talking about uh, some world-ending stuff, um, I think it was if if the 
if the food is scarce, yeah. is it the people with the guns that are going to have yeah. the power, basically? Yeah. Do you think we're fucked? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so do well, I. Well, to some degree, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't mean I don't think it's going to be as bad as, you know, supermarkets. Well, supermarkets will. Supermarkets get raided when there's a, a flood. Mm. Uh, a, a little bit of a flood. Yeah. When, yeah. when people hear about uh, the fact that gas, yeah. gasoline, uh, petrol, sorry, I forgot what country I was yeah, in, yeah. Is, might be going short. Yeah. The queues for. The queues, I know. It's, it's, it's it, crazy. We are on a knife edge, I yeah. think, frankly. But. People do overreact, but I think the people who overreact are the ones who are going to survive and the ones who are going to have their cellars full of food and water and yeah. and I'm going to nip to the corner shop and find that everything is gone so yeah. I'll probably be first on the pile of corpses I think I was just going to say have you got your AK no <laughs> this is it this is it I think it's I don't I, it's difficult to say I, I'd like to think it would never get that bad but you look around the world at what's happening and you just think well it could it could just all go to shit and and what do you do you know I think I just I would just like to go and find a cave in a in a in the hills somewhere and somewhere where you can just hide yeah. until maybe it blows over I don't know yeah. I just don't want to get involved in kind of being chased down the street by someone with a machete yeah, that I, don't, would... I don't want to do that no that would suck no <laughs> I'm not I'm not the kind of person who would chase somebody down the, sh- down the street with a machete either mm, I think I could you could it depends on the person well yeah I mean yeah that, that would that would make a difference yeah I don't know if we need if we want to go too much further into that. It might get a bit. <laughs> but I would be, you know, I, I think I'm I'm just useless. I I, I do a little karate, but uh, I don't, you know, I, I have no survival skills mm. whatsoever. Karate's pretty good. It's all right. It's all right. But I'm, I, I mean, was going to ask you about this. Obviously, <laughs> go on. I do. I do. Well, it was mainly because my kids wanted to do it, mm-hmm. and so I took them to the first lesson and uh, and watched them. And, and they were, at the end of it, they said, why don't you join in? And I mm. said, well, I, it's not my thing. And they said, well, please. Uh, so I ended up being persuaded to join in. And so now I do it every week with my three boys. Mm-hmm. And I'm a purple belt, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which belt. is not bad, actually. Taekwondo. Really? Mm. Wow. Well, we, you see, we could take out the whole I know. area. Yeah. Maybe we should... I'm not sure which Form one's gang. better. Karate or Taekwondo. I don't mm. know, actually. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. just did it because it was it was there. I mean, yeah. it could have been Taekwondo. Whatever was happening that night, I think. Mm. Um, but it's nice. It's nice to know that I c- I've got a few moves. In, if somebody came at me, you know, short of running away, because I'm still quite quick for my age, mm. I could. Me too. Yeah, I could. You know, I'm sure I could cause somebody a little bit of damage. Yeah. Which well, is, you'll which go is down quite... swinging at the very least. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is always encouraging, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of it's leaped its way into your. Oh yeah, fiction. yeah, yeah. I mean, I thank my karate teachers at the end of the book, but not your children who introduced you no. to karate. <laughs> well, I get thanked in great. I get thanked all the time. Um, yeah. yeah, I wanted him. I didn't want him to. Because the problem, the 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 temptation when you're writing about these these characters is to turn them into you know Jason Bourne type. Mm-hmm. All conquering. That's not so bad. Well, I love I love Jason Bourne, mm. but I didn't want I didn't I wanted an ordinary guy. Yeah, I didn't want some some guy who was just he would walk into a room like you know Jack Reacher. Or yeah, something. I was going to say he that he would just kill anybody who yeah. crossed him. I wanted somebody who who suffered a bit, who drank too much, whose mm-hmm. diet wasn't brilliant, who you know was just grouchy and mm-hmm. but he had principles and it's. I mean, I, my big, my big inspiration was a, was a writer called Derek Raymond, mm-hmm. who wrote uh, a series of novels called the, F- the Factory Novels in the nineteen, well, late eighties, early nineties. He died in nineteen ninety four, but he wrote these five novels that were so bleak, but they were leavened by this character who was foul mouthed, anonymous. He didn't have a name, grim. Um, Grim family background, but he cared about the people that he was trying to protect, and that was that was what I wanted to do. I wanted mm-hmm. to have a character who, who was similarly, you know, destroyed in in most areas of his life, but he he did have one or two redeeming factors that really mattered, you know, mm-hmm. in in today's grim times. Yeah, 
I, I mean, that's character. Is, I think is probably the biggest part of any genre, if you want to say. Really, is there is there a difference between how you would approach writing your characters for like a crime fiction novel than you would for like, well, maybe not horror, but if you do, would you write literary fiction? Well, you see, I think I do. Yeah, that's the difference. I, I, a lot, I get a little bit annoyed when um, uh, people I know who are who are writers make this make this uh, dif- they, 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 they say that genre fiction can't be literary yeah yeah. I knew somebody who used to write crime novels and then um, he didn't write anything for a few years and, and then he came out a couple of years ago with this book about bringing up a baby mm-hmm. uh, and he referred to it as literary fiction and it just rankled a little bit mm. because I think that you know, some of the some of the greatest novels I've ever read, uh, crime novels or you know, fancy novels or horror novels. I don't like that. I don't like that distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it annoys me a bit. I think you know, I, I put the best of what I can do into everything that I write. I don't say I don't hold back. Right. Because it's a crime novel. But is there not a, a point that where you say this one's going to be plot driven rather than? Well, no. Say character-driven or no, something else. No, I don't. I think because I think that, for me, the character comes first. Mm-hmm. Even if I've got an idea... He's insane. Even if I've got an idea for some event... Like, like the post-apocalyptic novel. Clearly, it was going to be about uh, an extinction-level event. But once that's happened it's all about the character it's all about what the character does how the character reacts it's not I, I don't I, I don't quite get my head around plot driven stories really mm. because because you can't do that unless you have well you can't I, I just don't think you can do anything unless you've got really really good characters yeah and I think the characters drive the plot as mm-hmm. well I, definitely I, you know. so when you start writing a, a novel do you write it not knowing how it's going to finish um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have I have possible ideas for endings, but uh, I tend to just try and think of a of an opening sequence. Uh, find out who this character is and what drives him or her, um, and then see where it goes. I mean, I do plan a bit more these days than I used to, mm-hmm. especially if I've got a deadline. But um, I don't. I mean, the the novel that I've been working on for for five years, the, the the ghost story. I have I have no real idea how that's going to end. Mm. Even though I've got you know I've got eighty thousand words in the bag. Gosh, I don't know how it's going to end. Uh, what what tickled me about that was the idea of two characters from different eras, one from nineteen forty four and one from the present day, who are somehow linked, um, and and working on that, and then hopefully something will suggest itself at some point but yeah mm. that's I'm, very I'm, Stephen King he's a he's yeah the same thing. I don't worry too much about it because yeah. I think because of because of the nature of what you're doing the characters that you've got I think something will always suggest itself mm. yeah I think there's a danger in having an ending to, that you're working towards because then there's a sense of having to kind of squeeze everything in so that mm. it, it works so you're, you're kind of Pushing, pushing the narrative in a certain direction to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. The downside of not doing <laughs> it that way is that you get three quarters away through the book and go, "Oh, this is going to how it. This is yeah. going to how. This is going to how it. This is how it's going to end." Yeah. And then have to go back and rewrite the whole. Mm, you might. You might have to rewrite. I don't know if you need to do that much work. Large Depend- chunks of thought. Yeah. It might. It might be that you find yourself with a lot mm. of work on your hands. But I yeah. think that's. I think that's, that's better probably because you're going to have to do that anyway. Yes. Or you know, I think it, if you're going to if you're going to write something that's that's decent, you're going to do a lot of rewriting anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's just part of the job, I think. Yeah. Um, I've never had a story that I've written that that just suggested itself and wrote it. You know, you hear that people saying it wrote itself. It's garbage. I that wish. That, that pisses me off. <clears throat> it's like, oh yeah, writers are fucking yeah, dummies. It yeah. just you just sit there and your fingers move and then... <laughs> yeah. You're just yeah. a conduit. Yeah. 
horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're a conduit if the book is shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sorry, a bit of me coming through. No, just I think that's a great, a great line to start a class. Mm. You're teaching creative writing, you just walk in and say that. Yeah. Before you even said hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, with like an... <laughs> With like a, what do you call those things that you just tuck in the, into your neck like an ascot and a fedora yeah. and a cane <laughs> and then and then just walk out again that's yeah. it yeah three hour class finished and then just like you're welcome <laughs> out yeah. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what Martin Amos's entire yeah. stint at the yeah, University exactly. of Manchester was like that you got a million quid for yeah you know it could happen couldn't it I know yeah, well, what do you do? <laughs> why don't you... Why is the... Why don't you? That sounds very uh, combative. <laughs> yeah. Why Just is Just rein this, that in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> why is this series in London rather than, say, mm. Warrington? Well, uh, that's a good question, but that, I started writing the series when I lived in London. Oh, you did live in London? Okay. I did live in London. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I, I just don't... I, I've got, I've got a Warrington novel in me. Mm-hmm. I want to write this this book I was telling you about that's yep. set in the seventies. That's going to be well. That's going to be set in Warrington, Warrington. is now set in the seventies. It, it never that's, left the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Give it one sec. Keg rolling. It couldn't honestly. It could not. You <laughs> couldn't have scripted this. I know. Give it a sec. Nobody would believe it if you scripted it. Well, I'm leaving it in. Yeah, just so people will believe it. The perils well, that's the, fir- that's of the first of twenty kegs that they're going to What were we talking about? Uh, Warrington. Yes, Warrington. Yeah. Um, I, I set a few of my early novels in Warrington. Yep. It's not. It's not the kind of play. I mean, Helen Walsh has set a few novels. Well, he should set, set one novel in Warrington. Yep. But it's not the kind of place that. Lends itself to mm. great fiction writing. I don't think there's no romance about it's not. There? It's not. A, it's not. A, I don't want to. The only. The only reason I go back to the place is to visit. You know, my family. My yeah. mum and dad still live in Warrington. As soon as they pop off, pop off. I, I don't imagine I'll ever go back. Really. Yeah. I genuinely don't understand with Northern Town. This is like an offside. Whether I leave, leave this in or not, yeah. I don't know because I might be killed. But these these people have been to Manchester. <laughs> They know how good it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why would you live in Bolton when you could live in Manchester? <laughs> yeah, don't don't put that in. Yeah, I want. I better leave that out. There's, I have people that listen that are from Bolton. I think. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. I I just I think my background. I grew up in Warrington, but I didn't really like it, and I I mm. couldn't wait to get out. Yeah. I went and studied as far away as I possibly could. Um. And I just think it's it's just one of those. It's just a town that's just quite depressed. All of its uh, industry has disappeared. It used to be famous for its wire. That's <laughs> all gone. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the centre of Warrington just looks like any other kind of town. Yeah. And um, you know, I had some good friends when I lived in Warrington, but I, you know, I think they've all left now, or they're you know they're still around, but I don't. I'm not in touch with them anymore. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's difficult, but I do I do want to set this story in in Warrington because it's where I was living, and it's all about it's all about trying to protect my mum mm-hmm. uh, in the seventies when there was talk of the Yorkshire Ripper coming down the M62 to Manchester uh, in 1977 when he killed somebody in Manchester, mm. and and realizing that that wasn't that far away from home, really, and. And what my mum knew that my mum was going out to work at night and coming back on her own, so I was worried about her. Yep. And I want to write about a kid who's who's trying to do his best to protect his mum from yeah. a serial killer. Wow, that sounds good. It sounds good. Uh, I I don't know how to write it yet. I don't quite know what to do with it, but it's yeah. that's that's the idea. What is it about Northwest? Writers and ghost stories. I, this is—I I think this is probably you're probably the fourth person that's been on this. Call. Jen Ashworth, mm. I don't know Tom Fletcher. Um, there's loads. Yeah. That it's all. I don't know. I don't know. Is don't the know. Northwest a creepy place? Uh, <laughs> I don't weird. know, really. I don't know. It's—I don't know. I—I I couldn't. I can't answer. Right. That. We'll edit that one out. Yeah. 
It's, um, a good, it's probably a good question. Yeah. I, I might come up with a decent really, answer for you. The, I mean, the, the answer that people would, that were not from here would give is that, oh, it's bleak up there. But it's not. It's not that so bleak. So I don't know why. Right. It's not as bleak as, say, somewhere like Hull. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, let's Hull. slate those guys. I was in Hull once. Yorkshire. Not going again. Yeah, I've never been. <laughs> it's one of those places that... You know, Norwich is, I put that kind of in the same boat where it's, you really have to want to go there because it's miles out. It's difficult to get to. But the difference is, Norwich is pretty great. Really? Hull, I can't imagine. Like, I mean, I would actually make the trip to Norwich because it's quite a beautiful and interesting. Yeah. But Hull, I I don't know. I shouldn't say that just because I've never been there. It is the city of culture, isn't it? I've heard that you, Norwich... Is, which is the way I would say it and the way you said it mm. is pronounced to rhyme with porridge Norwich Norwich people from Norwich yeah Norwich say Norwich no they don't do they apparently I think it's a bit silly but yeah I don't understand yeah. your people no no <laughs> they're not my people no and you know what every day I get people trying to correct my the way I say things because I'm from a different country and I'm like listen like you say, like the way you say about. Yeah, or I say garage instead of garage. All right, yeah. right. And people go, oh, I know it's garage. Like, listen, English person, <laughs> learn how to say a fucking a in your <laughs> yeah. own country before you start telling people from other countries how to speak English. Good point. Yeah. 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 I have this discussion every day of my <laughs> fucking life. <laughs> right. I've got two more questions. Okay. And you're not gonna like them. All right. All right. Because um, the problem with uh, being having uh, mates that are in, mates in common is that I find out things about you ah and okay. Nicholas Royal right I said to him tell me I didn't say give me some dirt but I did <laughs> right I said give me something to ask Conrad yeah and uh, in true Nicholas Royal style <clears throat> he said ask him about the short story Russian Vine my dear old friend <laughs> Nicholas Royal. Uh, Russian Vine it was a story I wrote when I was a kid. I was about 15, 16. Well, that's okay. Yeah. And it was a story about um, we had some Russian Vine in our garden at home, and my mum was constantly out in the garden hacking it down until, you know, she had to just get rid of it in the end because it was just overtaking everything. And so I just had this story, I wrote this story about some Russian Vine that eventually gets into the house it was a bit invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. type thing and gets hold of somebody and what's wrong with wraps that around the, I don't know what he's on about actually he's talking like you you this, you should be really ashamed of this I know I know but then he said he, this is his words exactly he said once he's finished calling me a twat for bringing that up ask him about rim rim the the fact is that I never ever stop calling Nicholas Royal a twat <laughs> so that never ends Rim was possible Rim was a story I wrote about a toilet which is possibly not the greatest story I've ever written right. but I think part of part of growing up and finding your feet as a writer is you know making mistakes yeah writing some shit obviously Nicholas Royal Literally. has never ever made any oh, mistakes yeah. never written anything that was shit well never mind the fact that he won the uh the award bad for sex work, bad award. sex award, yeah, yeah. Mm. and that I can tell you was not just because of his fiction. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, do you just have to talk to his girlfriend, oh. And wife. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can leave that in. He is my—he's still my MA supervisor, and he—he he wields a lot of power over me. <laughs> right. He's—he's uh, a. Uh, he's a no, he, he's one of my oldest friends and he's an incredibly generous mm. writer. The book's dedicated to him. Yeah, he is a very generous writer and he he's done a lot for so many writers Yeah, uh, and st- and goes on doing that. I mean, he's he's a great person to know and I'm lucky to know him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's still a twat. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? That is so the best place to finish on. <laughs> That's it. We're done. Do you like the, the gusto that I did? Fantastic. I like the vitriol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. My I pleasure. really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Good. It was good. It was a good chat, wasn't it? Uh, in case it wasn't entirely obvious, 
Conrad and I got along pretty much from the get-go. Hopefully the chat wasn't too annoyingly palsy. I I don't know if I, if I have a, another one or two of these that um, are so happy and go so well. I might just have to change the podcast title to Two Dudes Talk About Writing. Gender non-specific dudes, of course. I think I can get away with calling girls dudes. I'm from Western Canada. That's what my people do. I think it would be quite funny, actually, in the era of Trump, to take a podcast that already had the name The End of All Things in 2017 to something stupidly twee. The, uh, yes, the author's guide to... Never mind. Uh, surprise, surprise, the apocalypse... Apocalypse? The apocalypse? You'd think I'd be able to pronounce the bloody word, uh, considering my whole life revolves around it. The apocalypse came up in that chat with Conrad. I mean, it was always going to happen. There's a bit in his book about the end of the world. There's a bit of it in my book, to say the least. And there's a... I mean, the world's shit, isn't it? So that's... I think I'll just keep that title. I will speak to you again next month, probably near the end of the month as the writing is going so well, and I just want to get this fucking book finished. I'm not sure if it'll be the next episode or the one after that that I talk to the independent publishers. Uh, One thing for sure is that there is another upcoming podcast where Nicholas Bloody Royal comes up again. I was going to invoke a ban on this man's name because it comes up in every other podcast, including the one you just heard. But Tom from Dodo Inc. only goes and brings it up again. I think I might edit it out. Anyway, until I see you again, thanks for listening. Bye.